0: Welcome to the Gasps from a Dying Art Form podcast, where I talk about the history and philosophy of tap dance and things that are tap dance adjacent. If you like the show, please become a supporter on Patreon. Half of all profits go to the Mad Rhythms Tap Academy at the Harold Washington Cultural Center in the historic Bronzeville neighborhood of Chicago's South Side.
1: I want to take over Mad Rhythms and run the place I do this to real merit. Any tap dance on my face, can't you see? Falls is the ring, scale me. Here you go, a rare gas interview. News you can use as a gas from a dying art form. Gas from a dying art form.
0: <laughs> Hello and welcome to Gasps from a Dying Art Form, a podcast talking about tap dance and the tap dance adjacent. I am your host, Tristan Bruins, coming at you from the beautiful south side of Chicago in the Bronzeville neighborhood at the also beautiful Harold Washington Cultural Center where I tape this podcast. And today's a rare episode because I will have a guest. Usually it's just me reading from a script. I have with me Brill Barrett, the director and co-founder of the Mad Rhythms Tap Dance Company and director of the Making a Difference Dancing Rhythms organization, the brand new nonprofit arm of Mad Rhythms. How's it going, Brill Barrett?
2: It is going copacetically well.
0: Oh, did you make up that word? Not at all. (laughs) Who did? I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. Uh,
2: Bill Bojangles Robinson used to always say, everything's copacetic. And that's where the copacetics came from in terms of their name as a tribute to Bill Robinson. So oh, yeah. there it is. In
0: 1949, it was like right after.
2: Uh-huh, Wasn't uh-huh. it like
0: after they're sitting at the bar or something? Or? Yep. Wow. All right, then. Call <laughs> We do have an announcement that we are starting a podcast network.
2: That's right. Of Mad. our very
0: own. That's Can you right. give us any details on that, bro?
2: Well, the Mad Rhythms podcast network is literally going to be the voice of Of Mad Rhythms. We're known for being a strong collective, but also having individual voices and what better way to promote the individual voices as well as the collective with those people like myself and Mr. Tristan Bruins, who we we just like talking. And so the podcast uh, network, the Mad Rhythms podcast network is a way for us to promote The different ideas, ideologies, and just, I don't know, just we love talking tap. and These conversations happen a lot of time behind closed doors, so now they're just going to start happening more and more out in the open. So Tristan's already been hitting you with with this podcast, and y'all are tuning in and getting to know him and his involvement and connection to the tap world, and through that, his involvement with Mad Rhythms. So next... I'm going to drop a podcast. I was actually supposed to drop my first, but, you know, <laughs> procrastination is more than just a word. <laughs>
0: well, you're you're a, a very busy guy, and <laughs> for whatever reason, I'm much less busy. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what
3: could it be.
2: <laughs> but, yeah, so, uh, but anyway, I mean, that's the, that's the juxta of it. Tristan has pretty much led the way and is a leader in the field for Mad Rhythms, that is. Uh, joining some of our various other tap brethren and sister in in, in the dance who have podcasts and and different ways that they get their views out. And so this is Mad Rhythm's contribution to the field. We've been doing it on the wood for over 20 years, and now we're doing it in the podcast space. And hopefully we'll do that for 20 years.
0: And I think that there is value to it because I've explained this to, like, I think the other podcasters, like, (laughs) at different times. But... The value to me, well, I never had a thought to do a podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like there's a lot of work setting up the equipment and stuff. We can talk about equipment later. (laughs) But during the pandemic, Uh that kind of took the place for me Uh of hanging out with other tap dancers. We, yeah. had, we would have our weekly meetings. For uh-huh. those of you who don't know, I don't know how you could know. Uh, <laughs> but we still met during the pandemic. Mad that's Rhythms right. met every week. Sometimes we would share steps over Zoom, but often not because that's kind of terrible. <laughs> but we would meet every week and catch up and see how everyone's doing. So that I always really looked forward to that.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but in the interim, listening to, to Travis mm-hmm. on Tap Love Tour, listening uh-huh. to Rick... And uh, have tap shoes will travel that mm-hmm. one even even better than Travis's during the pandemic, because it really is just people like like shooting the shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but so it, you could kind of inject yourself. I was just telling Richie Miller uh, this story. OK, uh, Richie Miller from uh, not Miller. Sorry. Uh, Richie Milan. Oh, 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 band, yeah, yeah. Not
2: Richie Miller. He's doing, they got their show going up. The show is happening right now.
0: The Humbug. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We watched it. I, I got to see him at the Minneapolis Tap Festival. Okay,
2: okay. Uh, they're the Twin Cities Twin Tap Twin Cities Tap Fest, yep. In right. Uh, Minneapolis. right. <laughs>
0: uh, I was performing there with uh, Devon Suttles. Uh huh, uh huh. And in his work, uh, Devon, also a member of Mad Rhythms. That's it, that's it. And, uh, yeah, I got to talk to uh, Richie Mylan. Uh-huh. He bought me a fish and chips and a beer which <laughs> at Glukes. It was very kind of him. But I got to tell him this, that, like, some of my favorite episodes was Oslin and uh, Mylan.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: some of my favorite ones were listening to them talk because they're close friends who grew up dancing together.
3: Mm. So
0: just it felt like sitting between... To people talking shop that have known each other forever. Uh So that did a lot for my psychology. Right. I didn't listen to Rick's until he was already like a number of episodes in. Uh Uh-huh. So like every other day I could just kind of (laughs) like sit down, have my coffee and just have a conversation with two people.
2: Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And then my
0: wife, uh, my wife, Kate would say from the other room, like, who are you talking to? <laughs> Cause someone would say something, you know how in like dance competition, I'd be like, right. And she'd be like, right. Who? Oh, nothing. Nothing. Sorry. So, you know, uh, what I mean to say is I, I think that there is value in, in doing this project because it had value for me, mm-hmm. you know, it just psychologically helped me to, to talk to someone. <laughs>
2: about no. That, and that's, that's, that's a valid, a very valid point and valid thought. But I think also this has value on, a, on an even wider scale is because, you know, part of the problem we're having in TAP, the issues that we're having, some of them stem from wrong information. And a lot of times the information is in books and the only people who have decided to write those books are the people who've decided. And sometimes it's from a scholarly thing. Sometimes it's from whatever those reasons are. But with that being said, a lot of the true historians in the dance have never written a word. And so a lot of times, and by a lot of those masters that were with us having now passed on, then we've lost their stories. So I think this is a way to also ensure that for future generations, they've got our stories. So you can say, well, Brill said this, or Tristan said this. Well, go back to that podcast when they were talking and, and verify what that is. And then you've got it straight from, from the horse's mouth, as, as they say. So I think historically, these podcasts and the things that we do to tell our stories this way will also help future generations preserve the art form of tap.
0: Oh, and they serve as a great reference because, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at what Travis and uh, Rick and Nico. Mm-hmm. Nico Rubio uh-huh. has his shuffle live productions. <laughs> um, Real talk, tap talks. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and he's got some great interviews there. Yeah. Like his, he's got a two-parter with Trey. It's like... Yeah. It's like almost four. It's like four hours long, but it's like an in-depth. You know, if uh-huh. you can edit that sucker down, put visuals to it, just old pictures that Trey's mom probably got sitting around, and make like a documentary out
3: of uh-huh. it. I mean, uh-huh. they're,
0: they're very valuable in that they are of the time. Yeah, it's not someone else telling their story from a hundred years in the future. <laughs> right, right. Which is right. kind of how we know a lot of. Yeah, yeah. Like, some great tap dancers. Yeah,
2: absolutely, absolutely. No man, I'm in agreement. I think this was this was just a natural thing for us. So mm-hmm. I'm glad we're doing it. I'm glad you. I'm glad you got the ball rolling. And well,
0: yeah, I mean, really, again, I said I didn't plan on doing a podcast. <laughs> and really, the deciding factor is uh-huh. in that you have set up here in the <laughs> in the offices at Mad Rhythms HQ uh-huh,
3: uh-huh. at the
0: HWCC. Yeah, huh. This amazing podcast booth. I mean, we've got the nice roadcaster box, which is idiot proof, obviously. Because <laughs> here we are. You know, we got a nice uh, monitor to to read our stuff off of. We got speakers for playback. We've got like four microphones. Yeah, yeah, four
2: good microphones. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just bought. What did you just buy? I just bought a new monitor because right now, uh, what we're using as a monitor is just a tablet, right? Uh, um, on a mount, on a desk mount. So now I gotta. I'm gonna run the tablet through this. Uh, it's a 27 inch, I think, ultra wide monitor. Just so that because the next step from the podcast is also gonna be where we record and do video, and and then our YouTube channel starts to grow with the visual versions of the podcast that we do.
0: Oh, yeah. If you're not hip to the (laughs) Mad Rhythms YouTube channel, I recommend getting on there. Hit that subscribe button and that that little dingle bell that's in the corner. (laughs) I don't know what that does, but I know that it would be good if people hit that.
2: Well, that bell allows you to be alerted when Mad Rhythms post something. And if you hit it twice, it, it, it makes sure that you're alerted every time we post something. So if you want to keep up with Mad Rhythms, hit the bell, hit the like button hit the subscribe button. You know what to do.
0: See, I was kidding. I did know what it was for, but then I didn't know you could click it twice. So, so I actually didn't know. The first one I was being funny, but now I'm telling the truth.
2: So I did just learn that. Just now. Such is our relationship, Tristan. Such is our relationship.
0: Oh, man, how, how, how long, how far back? I like, well, we like to play this game every year. That's how you know when you're getting a little older, when you like oh, to yeah. play this game. So
2: how long have we known each other? What do you think? Uh, well, you said you started coming, you came to classes before you were ever a professional. So I don't, I'm trying to think, man, this has to be, if Mad Rhythms is 20 years old, you, I've probably known you somehow, maybe 15 of those years. I would say maybe 15. I remember, I feel
0: like the first time, if it wasn't at one of them old Chicago tap festivals, I, f- the first time I remember meeting you and Trey together,
3: uh-huh.
0: was, I want to say I was 13, <laughs> maybe 14, maybe 15, somewhere in there. So more than 14 years, because I'm 36, uh Uh-huh. right? So 30 would be like 15 years, so okay, it's, it's okay. like 20-something years. Oh, yeah. But you and Trey were doing like a two-man operation at the, the Wyndham Hotel, just off of Route 355. And like just shy of Beasterfield Road, <laughs> it's literally like where I
2: grew up. Oh wow, wow! It's like, it's like right. Oh, it was for one of those. Uh, was this CNA DM? I don't know. man. It was I one of know. those. One of it was a. It was a, a. I think it was a convention, a dance convention, but it was a local one. It was a Chicago one, mm. I think. But oh. keep going. Keep going.
0: Well, I just remember that my mom found out. <laughs> oh, we got two uh, tap dancers out right here. Uh huh. Uh, and I was, I love tap dancing. So that was the first time I saw the condos. The uh, rudiment, just uh, like that basic rudiment. Uh-huh, and I remember uh-huh. just like, this is so hard. I'm never going to be able to do it. <laughs> and now I'm, I've am i almost got it. So, so
2: A little over 20 years and you almost got it. That's about right. That's That is the story of this dance. There's always one more notch on the metronome. Man, man. What I tell people all the time is whenever I remember talking to Slide and whenever you would ask Dr. Jimmy Slide, how you doing? With, how, 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 how's everything? He'd say, I'm still practicing my shuffles. And and we're all thinking, well, if he's still practicing his shuffles and he's been in this game for a lifetime, we ain't got no excuses. Got to keep practicing.
0: I've, you know, admittedly, I've been doing more reading than practicing lately.
2: But that's practicing too. That's, I mean, I think learning the culture and history of this dance goes right along with learning the dance. It is how you completely become a tap dancer. I was watching something on YouTube the other day and it was about hip hop and it was B-boys sitting around talking and some of the old school B-boys were talking about the early days and they were saying learning the history is part of the culture of hip hop. Like they talk about the five or six elements of hip hop culture being one of those. I think it's the same with tap. I think, And if you really want to be a tap dancer, you got to learn the culture and the history. So what you're doing now, and I think it's no particular order, the way the way you have fallen in love with the culture and history has come on the backside of you learning to fall in love with the dance itself. But now it's enhancing your love of the dance.
0: It's funny you say that because growing up in school, Uh I always felt really dumb. (laughs) Like I always felt like really stupid because I just could not concentrate on any of the reading or, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, any the math, no good, science, no good. And so, you know, what do you think? You're like, oh, I'm just like, I'm just not smart mm. or something, right? That's uh-huh. why, I like, tap dance is a good career because it's physical, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. You can just put in that time on the wood and, and you'll achieve something. Right, right, you know, right, At least good enough to make a living <laughs> teaching classes or whatever. Absolutely. The first time I found out maybe I wasn't a complete dumbo, mm-hmm. right, was when I did, like, beer brewing. Mm. As a uh, hobby,
2: in the bathtub, right?
0: Well, you know, <laughs> I wasn't allowed doing the bathtub so much. Toilet brew, toilet brew. That's where oh, that's prison wine, prison wine. Yeah, it's really up to the yeast you use, right? <laughs> right? It's just barley instead of grapes. But yeah, same kind of toilet idea. But that's when you know it was like, how do you get this recipe just right? Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, well, it's not the ingredients. You boiled it too
2: long or too uh long. How do I
0: know how long to do that? Well, here's a book. And if you do this equation, Mm -hmm. then you know how long to boil it. The number that comes out is how many minutes you need to boil it. I'm like, Uh that's, that's very convenient. Mm-hmm. It's better than, like, turn the heat on and then off and then measure it, heat on, <laughs> off, measure it. it. Saves me a lot of time. Uh-huh. And so you you just memorize these equations and it got to the point where I'm just like, oh, well, you just take, like, 30 milliliters and, like, take a sample of that and then add some calcium to it. And then you get the – and then multiply that by 1.83. <laughs> And then it's like, wow, you're you're doing math, oh, oh. and you understand it, and it's useful because it was something I was interested. In. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Right. And same thing with history. I was never really interested in history, mm-hmm. and then I I read Ballas Hills Tap Dancing America, mm-hmm. and it would just kind of flesh out the stories I had already heard uh-huh. by going to festivals and talking to people. Mm-hmm. That stuff was sticking in my head, mm. and I was like, well, there it is. Just like learning math with beer brewing, uh-huh. learning history about uh through tap dance just just because it made it interesting uh-huh and then through tap dance i mean you kind of find your way into every avenue
3: mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. there
0: exists i mean yes of course there's u.s history well you know <laughs> the people that make tap dance come from outside the u.s so then you gotta go to those places uh-huh, you know uh-huh. western africa central africa uh-huh. you know united kingdom and uh-huh. there's places in between
3: uh-huh
0: in short like tap dance takes you everywhere it mm-hmm. all Folds together. Mm -hmm. So through tap dance now, all of history is open to me.
3: Mm, mm.
0: I'm interested in it and it sticks because I actually care because it relates to something I'm doing now. Uh And I can put it into my artwork now, Mm -hmm. whether it's Mm -hmm. my dancing or my podcasting.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I've always said that tap dance history is a microcosm of American history. I've been saying that for years being aware of things in American history is also how you start to figure in and fill in some of the blanks and tap dance. So I'm with you on that, man. I never set out to be a tap historian or anything close to any of that. And it's so funny. People are like, we know who we need to go to when we need to get the history. And I'm like, yeah, Diane Walker. (laughs) (laughs) And people are like, no, you. And it's just, I fell in love with it because the more I started learning, the more I realized the stuff that wasn't being taught to me, and the more I realized, and again, when you apply it to American history, why some of that stuff wasn't being taught. And I was like, ah, so this is why this makes this sense. Like, like perfect example, uh, pig leg baits. Leg amputated on the kitchen table because it got caught in the cotton gin machine. Well, if I hadn't studied history and knew about slavery and plantations and picking cotton and the fact that a black man named Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin and the reason he invented that machine was so that, you know, it was it made picking cotton easier. Like, I knew all that from history, so then when I applied it to Peg Lake like, Bake Story, and I was like, oh, that makes sense. So this would explain a lot of that. So just, like, knowing history, it connects. They all connect.
0: What really does it for me mm-hmm. is Bill Robinson mm-hmm. helping to abolish the two-color rule yeah, yeah. in theater, right? If you don't know about that, well, explain explain
2: this, please. Well, and the funny thing is, like, so I've often said, uh, growing up, my mom, I, I, I say was, but is a Black Panther. And growing up from the child of a Black Panther and being very pro-Black and very uh, militant in a lot of ways, I never liked... Bill Bojangles Robinson, because I thought he was smiling, cooning for the man. Like the reason a lot of black people weren't tap dancing in the 60s is because the civil rights movement and the and the black pride and all of that stuff was getting away from tap because that was looked at as a negative. Bojangles was not someone I liked or respected as a tap dancer, which is the weirdest thing you'll probably ever hear me say. But it wasn't until Gregory Hines did the movie, and this is why the history is important, and us telling the history is important, Gregory Hines did the movie Bojangles. And in that, I learned about Bojangles because I was a fan of Gregory Hines. And then after that movie... I started doing more research like because now I'm like, oh, there's a whole nother side to Bojangles that I never learned about initially. And part of that was he was a civil rights activist in the time before that was even a phrase or saying. So Bojangles refused to go out on stage in blackface and the time if you if you know what minstrel shows were. (laughs) Or are, (laughs) depending on how you look at certain things If you know what minstrel shows were Bojangles was in the minstrel shows And at that time, minstrel shows started With white people wearing blackface to imitate black dancers That caught on, audiences loved it And to the point that in order to grow and make that money They started hiring black entertainers But putting them in blackface So that the audience would think it was a white person Imitating a black person And so even black entertainers in the minstrel shows had to wear blackface. Bojangles, Bill Robinson, (laughs) Luther Robinson, if you want to go deeper, was the one who refused to wear blackface. And then at that time, there was a two-colored rule, which means there had to be at least two colored entertainers on stage to entertain white audiences. It was thought that one black entertainer couldn't entertain a white audience. And so that was another rule. And these were, these weren't laws. These were vaudeville rules though. And and know so enough. You want to work in this, you sign this contract. These are the rules and regulations. You got to abide by them, by them or you don't work. And so, yeah, Bojangles went out there, said, I'm going out by myself and I'm not wearing blackface. And he reversed those rules because he got a standing ovation. That's, you know, he was doing the stare dance and that was his thing. And he went out there and, First, they were gasping and people were silent and they were like, and then they fell in love with what he was doing. And the rest is history. So like knowing that gave me like the utmost respect for Bojangles. And then the other story start coming out about the mayor, why they called him the mayor of Harlem and how he used to do all these police benefits. And they touch on it in the movie. But like he did, he was running himself ragged doing police benefits that they made him. They deputized him. Gave him a badge, gave him a gun, and he ran around Harlem with a badge and a gun as a tap dancer. And, yes, he liked to gamble. He would often pull out that badge and gun if he lost uh, in a gambling situation. So it was, you know, but all of that stuff, I never knew from the smiley pictures that I saw in the beginning. So once I learned about who he was and his history, I was hooked, man. I was like, man, Bojangles was the man. But then his
0: his image. Uh Uh-huh takes a turn for the worse. And when you told me this, this blew my mind. And I, I got to tell you, I've probably put in like 200 hours of reading uh-huh. just from this thing you told me. You were like, well, a lot of black people don't like Bill Robinson. Oh, uh-huh. And I'm, you know, I'm reading... <laughs> contemporary history Uh and all the history books are saying like you're saying, you know, they're Uh looking at his whole contribution Uh and we're taking that into account. Uh So then when you were like, yeah, well, a lot of black people don't like Bill Robinson. You know, Uh think he's like an uncle Tom type character. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was, I didn't know that. That was (laughs) what? what, what, that can't be true. And then you look into it a little bit and it's this whole big thing. Yeah. And that led me to read the, Audiobook <laughs> of Uncle Tom's Cabin because uh-huh. it's like 500 pages uh-huh. long. And so I listened to this audiobook to get to know, like, well, what is this character? This, the
2: Uncle Tom, right? yeah.
0: And then to read all these articles on like blackface minstrelsy and, and uh-huh. the effects on that. I'm still reading about it. Mm hmm. And that was the kind of the point of my first podcast episode. Uh-huh. Because I kind of explored that thing you told
3: me. Uh-huh.
0: Because I didn't believe it. <laughs> and then I found something that confirmed what you said, and then another thing, and another thing. And then if you listen to the first episode of the podcast, which I know you did, uh-huh, I found that interview from, With those
2: guys talking about, I,
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> from another podcast, and they just go into Bill Robinson and Tap Dance uh-huh. and just tear at a new one. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, this is like the most offensive thing (laughs) I've ever heard. Uh For me, it was almost like a real life conspiracy theory. Uh Because you know, you see him in the Shirley Temple movies, Uh Littlest Rebel, 1935, Mm -hmm. The Little Colonel, Mm -hmm. I think also 1935, Uh 36, and you see him kind of feign ignorance about what's the Civil War about. I don't know. It's just some people, you know. It'll settle down. It's no big deal. (laughs) And you're like, ah, oh, but why could he say this if he did these other things? Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, and then you get really mad at him. Uh huh. You know, even me for a while, I was like, how could you do this, Uncle uh, Bo? Like, uh-huh. what do you, <laughs> how could you do this to uh-huh, me? You know. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's an article by a, a civil rights professor, law scholar, Ellen Freeman, mm-hmm. where he talks about how like the the American judicial system and mm-hmm. kind of how we think about rights law mm-hmm. and civil rights in general there's two versions there's like a a, a perpetrator perspective mm-hmm. where you focus on what the person did uh-huh. and there's like the victim perspective mm. of like why this person is doing this to this
3: person uh-huh
0: so that's kind of how I was looking at it. I'm like how could you do this this thing here uh-huh. and not looking at why yeah, yeah. he was doing this thing. You know, you look at his whole life. He mm-hmm. has to work. There's never a day he's not working. Yeah. There's 365 days in a year. He's doing 500 shows. <laughs> yeah. For literally.
3: Yeah, yeah. Right, so like, he
0: has to work. This is his only outlet to work. Mm-hmm. We got some of the greatest tap dancing on film ever. So... I don't, you know, now I'm flipping my mind again because Uh it's...
2: it's... The other thing is living in a system of oppression, the things that you do in order to survive. And so, yeah, I'll say this line about the Civil War, like, you know, whatever that Hollywood tells me I need to say because that's how I'm getting my paycheck. Like, but at the same time, you dancing with this little white girl is doing wonders for race relations. But you just got to say this ignorant thing about the civil war. So yeah, it's like, I think a lot of us don't even understand what we would do in that position. When that's your, what's your, that's your, that's your bread. That's your daily bread. That's how you eat. But at the same time, you got to say, and I mean, again, we see it all the time. I think now, I think now people do it in this world a little bit. They're a little bit happy to do it. (laughs) So I don't know, man. I just, like I said, I have the ultimate respect for him because of what he his contributions, because of the things he did, the stances that he took. But yeah, also I understand why my image was what it was in the beginning. And and again, that's why we gotta tell our stories. It all boils back to I feel like if Gregory Hines hadn't done that movie, it might have been a long time before I came around to the understanding of the totality. Cause I think that's it. A lot of times we don't know the totality of are idols, but they're human beings. And so when you start looking like that, it it helps you have another lens, a better lens, to look at your idols, anybody you admire, you love. And sometimes you got to try to separate the artist from the person because they might be a horrible individual but a talented entertainer. And you're like, so how do I? So balance, man, I think we're all trying to find that balance. Getting back to Mad Rhythms. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. How old is Mad Rhythms again? So Mad Rhythms is officially 20 years old. This wow. is our 20th anniversary as a company. But the seeds were planted long before this. Trey and I were working together in another whole, we had a whole another group and that's in our, in our history and we did stuff and um, me working with the kids, that was a pre-Mad Rhythms thing. So like there's a lot of, the seeds were planted before it officially had a name. But for 20 years now, we've been officially doing it as Mad Rhythms. And you you've been in it for the last ten now, something like that. I, think I was I was two thousand nine. Yeah, I was looking at uh, uh. Google sent me to this day in two thousand nine, and it was oh. like your audition pictures from the 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 thing we had. So I I was like, man. So you've been around a long time, man. Yeah, like 12 years.
3: <laughs>
2: I love it. I'm not sick of it. Yeah. Well, you know, I think back to, especially even in these conversations, I think back to some of you and I, our earlier conversations about postmodern tap. And you came, you came in with the with, with, with all of these grand ideas. And I was like, nah, bro. <laughs> this is the way these things happened. Um, but so I've, I've been happy to see your growth over the years, man, just in terms of understanding, like I tell people again, the, to understand the true culture and history of tap dance, you can't shy away from understanding the, the, the roles that racism, sexism, classism, any of those things played in the history of that dance. And so to see you taking it on full force, man, I love it. Well,
0: if I wasn't, if I didn't have like you mm-hmm. and Star and that and like just everyone here uh-huh. as like a reference and as like kind of like a, a, a check and balance, uh-huh. then I don't think I'd be comfortable to talk about a mm-hmm. lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. right? But it's funny because I was talking to Sterling. Uh-huh. That's another Mad Rhythms uh, member, Sterling Harris. Mm-hmm. I tell him because every, before I do a podcast, I kind of just like run the idea by him because uh-huh. he's a super smart dude, uh-huh. you know, and he, he's kind of got that brain. Yeah, he's can, like
2: a tap dancer slash engineer.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's just a smart dude, <laughs> so he can like follow along when I give him all these different things. Uh huh. If he likes it, then I'm like good, and then he'll be like, "But what about?" And I'll and I'll argue with him, uh-huh. and then I'll go back and I'll change <laughs> what I did. So, and that's kind of like with everyone. Secretly, uh-huh. I had these conversations. Star
2: two, I was like, So, what do you think about this and this? What, what, what? And I got to go back and change what I huh. I remember the first conversation we had about privilege, white uh, privilege, yeah. and you got so pissed. You were like, But well, I'm not racist. <laughs> and I'm like, And nobody's calling you racist. Yeah. We're saying you benefit from privilege. And but again, now you understand what that whole conversation was about. Now you are now you can talk on privilege more than anybody. Well,
0: ask ask me again. See if see if I have a an answer that is better now. Uh,
2: do Do you understand your privilege? I think so. Okay. How what 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 would you say is your privilege? Like how how does it help you in life? My
0: white privilege uh-huh. is the privilege to not see my white privilege. <laughs> That's the most concise way I have of understanding
2: it is that hey, you can't see it and you don't hit, notice it. Hit, I don't, damn, I don't know which one is the claps. I was going to say hit the applause on the. No, oh, no, that's, shoot. <laughs> no it's, I think it's the green one.
3: Uh, no, no. Maybe the one next to it. Shoot.
2: There hey. it is. I hope that shows up on your thing. <laughs> okay, enough of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and that's it. I think a lot of times when we had these conversations, and it's about tap tap history, American history. Um, I was just literally watching something, and I can't remember what it was now, but it was in India. And they were talking about the really dark skinned Indians. And I mean, India, from India. <laughs> not yes. native americans or native to the land. But there's a whole like everybody talks about the uh the caste system in India. Mm-hmm. But what I one of the things I realized when you look at every caste system in every country, the darkest people are usually on the bottom. Usually. So then it becomes it's wider than just American good old American racism. It is literally a standard of white superiority being practiced and taught all over the world. And some people will take offense to that statement. And I'm like, but, well, then how else do you explain? Ain't none of them American. They're all Indian or they're all this. There's an, you know, um, in Australia, the Aborigines, like you can go all the way around the world and look at this system. and You say, but why is it that the people who are native to the land and they're usually the darker people, no matter where you are, there's usually some kind of issue. And that's when you get into the deeper topic of this whole thing. But, you know, then we just come back to tap.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. Another time where you blew my mind. I forgot what exactly we were talking about. But I said some dumbass comment about, like, like I, or I asked you, it was like, well... It's probably the opposite in Africa, right? Like, it's better to be...
3: Oh, yeah. Better to be
0: black and not going to be white. Because in Africa, was more... And, you're, and you just gave me this, like, look. I think you were driving at the time. But you just gave me that side eye, and you're like, no, dude. It's, it's, it's the same. Yeah. Look up South Africa and apartheid. <laughs> which I had not learned about
2: in that, school. That is a... That's hilarious to me that you had... And see, and that's the thing. We never assumed that... Like, I never assumed that everybody didn't learn the same things. I knew there were things that black things about black history that we didn't learn, Mm. but I didn't know that there was things like about world history that involved black people that also even white people didn't learn. I was like, that's interesting to me. To be fair, they someone might have tried to teach it to me in school. (laughs) And you were But going back to what I was saying, like Uh why
0: would I be interested in a place that's so far away. Mm -hmm. But now I'm interested. But then after learning about that, well, then of course you have to read up on, you know, more civil rights literature in the United Uh States uh because the South African apartheid is based on in part our Jim Crow laws that we had for so long. Yeah. So then you, Compare and contrast those things, and then you see where the tap dance like came up in there, and that's uh-huh. when you find out that the British were <laughs> exporting blackface minstrelsy to South Africa, yeah, and telling them like, see, <laughs> this is how they act in the United States. Yeah, you should act like that too. And and the people, the Zulu nat- tribes are like, no, <laughs> that's that's absolutely not true. Yeah. Uh, but then from there, like, I contacted, uh, I don't know, do you know Cinda Edok? No, but you were telling me about. She she's got this show Tap uh-huh. So I talked to her, she sent me her uh, her like thesis paper uh-huh. for her, like her doctorate or her masters uh-huh. or something, which I'm only halfway through. I'm sorry, Cindy. But I'm going <laughs> to get through it. And uh I forget I I kind of made friends with a couple Facebook friends with a couple South African tap dancers. Uh-huh. The one dude uh Mfiso, I think M F I S O, and I forget his last name. Oh, okay. uh, Zolandi? Okay. Maybe. I forget the names, and they are kind of hard for me to say. <laughs> so hard for me to remember. But, like, just to talk to these people and be like, man, have you heard about this and this? And they're like, yeah, of course we heard about it. Well, tell me more about it. <laughs> and then this guy, uh, you know, the one guy, Mephiso, sent me a bunch of names to look up uh-huh. of, like, Pantzula dancers. huh. And then kind of going back to, like, the the hi-fi music and, like, Hugh in uh-huh. uh-huh. South Africa. And then kind of what was the dance like then? Tap dance never really caught on. Mm-hmm. In South Africa,
2: maybe because of the the blackface theater, I don't know. It could be, it could be, but like, yeah, and it, it's just interesting, man. And I, and I love that that the especially the the internet is giving us now the reach to reach the world, even if we never actually go there. So the fact that you're connecting with South African tap dancers and 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 finding out that history directly from them, that I, again, I think that is the coolest thing. And I'm glad that you're doing it, man, because that's that's dope, man. That's, that's really cool that you're doing that. So keep doing it. Oh, yeah. And people want to tell you. Yeah. They want to tell you. You're interested <laughs> in my art? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, let me tell you everything about it. Well, I remember seeing uh, a show called Footprints of Africa. Mm. And I've got it around here on DVD somewhere. And it was this whole show done in Africa, done by Africans. And then it kind of toured the world and they did tribal dances and tribal songs and rituals and all of these different things. And then they kind of the second half of the show was like their modern half. And they they just sang like gospel music and 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 they had tap dance and they had hip hop and they had all they had a, a lot of other stuff in there. And I remember seeing the tap and going, it's interesting. I could tell without knowing it that these were African tap dancers who had been taught by English or European tap dances and it was weird seeing them do something that was native to their history, but still look for and doing it because of the way it was taught to them, but still look more natural than some people because they had this natural movement and flair that they were doing it with. But I remember seeing it going, damn, I can see the lineage of how they learned without even knowing who taught them. And sure enough, when I looked into it, it was some English guy that was the choreographer that taught them the tap dance. And I was like, because it was it was a little too stiff for them. Like everything else in the show was down in the ground. But the tap was a little too stiff. But whenever they moved in between the tap steps, they were down in the ground. And then they would kind of straighten up and tap. And then be down. And I was like, that's so counterintuitive. It's weird to watch. But yeah.
0: Well, like we were saying before, this this whole point of this episode is not to tell the history of Brill Bear and Mad Rhythms, but <laughs> yeah. you can go and listen to, I guess this will be a mini tap dance podcast roundup right here, <laughs> but you can go to the Tap Love Tour, uh-huh, you're on there, uh-huh, uh-huh. you can go to Half Tap Shoes, We'll Travel, you're uh-huh, on there, uh-huh. you're not on Real Talk Tap Talks yet, are you? No, not okay, yet, not but yet. I'm
2: on Hillary Marie's, Um, what's her... What's her lost in the shuffle. Yeah, lost
0: in the shuffle. She, really? Yeah,
2: I I forgot she did an No, because yeah.
0: I listened to a Heather Cornell one. All right, yeah. well then, well see, shame on me. I I now there's <laughs> one I haven't listened to that I gotta listen to. But you can catch the history of Brill Barrett and Mad Rhythms on Tap Love Tour by Travis Knights. Have Tap Shoes Will Travel by Rick Osland and Lost in the Shuffle by Hillary Marie. Uh-huh. Right, and I tap online. That's one thing I don't know if you know, on every show I do the tap dance podcast roundup where uh, I give a shout out to the other podcasts. Uh. Because I love them so much. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I want them to succeed. But that's cool cuz there's room for us all. Everybody everybody just like as tap dancers, we each have our own individual voices. When we use our individual voices, I think it's just as valuable. So I would never say listen to this and not that. I say listen to them all. And then you'll 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 leave a richer person for it yeah. for having done it but if you want to know brill's
0: story go, go to them <laughs>
2: they already did the work so
0: i don't have to so we we got like maybe because i'm still on the free pinecast version, so we only got about like 55 minutes and i have to put my song in the beginning uh-huh the uh-huh um but i would like to maybe take the last seven minutes or so Talk about what we're doing about the 20th anniversary. Okay, okay. Because we have a fundraiser going on.
2: That's right. So this 20th anniversary, we kicked off our major fundraiser. And this is, brace yourselves for it. Maybe take a seat if you need to. We are going to raise $200,000. Woo! For the next 20 years, I mean, that's not going to serve 20 years, but for the next years of our journey into the dance and the way we teach it and the way we share it and and the way we make it available to those who it's not normally available for. And one of the things we did was we came up with a bunch of different incentives so that you could just give out of the goodness of your heart. That would be lovely. And we love it. And we're mad appreciative of those that do that. But you also could get something like if you're we've got a whole track for studios where studios can donate to the nonprofit and get choreography or get a a show, maybe or get. Be featured in something Mad Rhythms is doing. Like there's a whole list. I don't know it all off the top of my head, but you could go to madrhythms.com and check that out. We've got the the Mattios. You've you've heard of uh, what's what's the other name? Cameo. See, I don't even know the other name anymore. <laughs> you've heard of Cameo. Well, get yourself a Mattio, and that's where you can again for your donation, you can have a member or members of Mad Rhythms give you shouts out on social media, special things, and you know it's it's a way to connect and and. Again, we've got all kind of incentives uh, from from buttons to T-shirts to to water bottles, to towels and more stuff coming on a daily basis. Tickets to shows, class cards like we've got all kind of incentives. So if you're interested, you can go to madrhythms.com. All that information is there. And of course, that's mad with two D's, M-A-D-D-R-H-Y-T-H-M-S dot com.
0: And I will do my best to remember to put a link. No, there will be a link. There you go. Underneath uh, the description (laughs) to this podcast. So give it a click and take a look. Why why do we need this? What are you going to possibly do with two... $100,000. $100,000. What could you possibly do with that? Just stuff your mattress and just sleep <laughs> like
2: a baby? Like, what do you... Well, I mean, have you ever slept on a pillow stuffed with money? Man, it's a... No, I'm just joking. Um, so one of the things... <laughs> let, let me first start off, because you, you alluded to this in the beginning of the podcast, and we never really got into it. Yeah. So let me get into it now. One of the first things is, like, for example, when the pandemic hit, Mad Rhythms, we had to shut down. We were not considered a, a uh, what's, an essential business. So a dance school, not crucial to the economy, although I did disagree. The government said, no, we shut down. Classes stopped. Income stopped. Everything stopped on a dime. So one of the first things I did was, okay, I've got this desk where I sit at and pay bills and handle business. But now the this this changed economy has me thinking of different ways that we've got to become more profitable In different ways, we've got to be able to reach the world if we can't necessarily go into a theater anymore with people in person. And that's where this whole podcast studio came from. With some of the grants and donations that we got, we were able to build this full podcast studio, which now allows us to document and reach and broaden our reach to the world that much faster. So things like that. That was one of the first things. So going forward, um, our tap floors, we got to replace them. We got to get really good tap floors one of the problems that a lot of the historical tap dancers have is knee and hip problems Mm. and a lot of that comes especially when you look at the 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 legends if you look at those old hollywood movies they're on concrete sound stages they're like and so knowing that one of the ways to preserve our bodies is to have properly sprung or floating as they call them dance floors well the ones we have now, through some various grants and, and things in the past, we we built those. A matter of fact, Tristan Bruins built those floors that we have now. But even he'll tell you, I'm not a carpenter. I'm not. So, like, to get professionally finished floors done in our studios, that's the next move. And we want to spare no expense on the floors overall because that's what our bodies depend on. Like, that... Ba- A year on a bad floor can do more harm than five years on a good floor to your body. And as some of us (coughs) uh, get older, you know, we start, I got back problems, I got knee problems. And I'm like, so just think, I want to make sure the next generations, plural, don't have those same issues. One of the things we do is we learn from the generations before us. We learn the good and we learn the bad. So I want to make sure we got sprung floors. Um, One of the things we want to do is... to better serve the economy, we want to kill the use of plastics, plastic water bottles mm. in our space. So getting uh, the water fountains with the purifier built in and being able to encourage people to do that. We just started recycling in our place. Like there's a lot of things we want to do. There's maintenance. We we need to get door locks repaired. We need to, we need to, I'm, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Floor's got to get redone. I mean just the floor by itself. So, I mean yeah. if we were to get a hardwood floor Yeah. I mean, you know,
0: just off the top of my head, that's like fifteen to thirty thousand yeah. like right got,
2: there. And we got four studios.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we're getting multiple. So, yeah. So so already that so could already be like half that could that be that be a lot budget. Of
2: yeah. That we could spend
0: just like right now. Yeah. <laughs> Call up a dude and be like, Okay, let's do it. <laughs> Um, a new portable floor we could
2: use because our old ones our are, portable floors are who, fall yeah. Who built those? <laughs> those I don't traps? know man, those things are falling apart and I feel like every time we break a one, I feel like the floor yells out Tristan. <laughs> i don't know why i think i've heard that don't you um, love me (laughs) but yeah so getting a, a, a portable sprung floor because again one of the things that has allowed us to work more as a tap company is having a portable floor i can't tell you how many times in the past we've gone places and people have said oh you can't dance on carpet oh you can't dance on marble floors oh you can't dance on tile oh you can't dance on concrete Oh, you can't dance in the grass? like So now with that situation, we never have those problems. and But those floors, we use them, and we have used them. Mostly everything we have and we use, we've used it past what the warranty would allow. Mm -hmm. We're out of date with everything. So the goal is to really overhaul the studio and make it the place. Uh, It's already the headquarters for Mad Rhythms, but we're going to reinstitute our youth programs, And so giving more scholarships out to our tap school, allowing more scholarships to our festival that we do like the biggest, the biggest thing once we get past structural and and operating changes that we need to make is really keeping this art form accessible to young people. Because Mm. that's how it grows. That's how you make sure the art form is not a dying art form, is you make sure that every generation after you at least has the opportunity. You can't force people to be tap dancers. But they got to at least have the opportunity. And right here in Bronzeville on the south side of Chicago, we had our program for a long time in North Lawndale on the west side of Chicago. We have programs in Englewood. So being able to go into the communities where people think are, quote unquote, the worst communities and teach and spread the joy of tap in this art form and give young people another positive alternative, that's what this fundraiser is really about.
0: Man, and to speak on that, that was <laughs> also one of the, the most enlightening things. Because I used to do all these school shows uh-huh. you know, through Chicago Rhythm Project uh-huh. when we were in Bam! The best name for... A, the second best name for a tap company. Watch yourself. It's it's a good name. I'm going to put that on my tombstone. Brooklyn but,
2: Academy of Music.
0: <laughs> Books a million. So good. Uh, but, but then doing these same school shows, sometimes at the same schools, uh-huh. with you and Mad Rhythms... It's a totally different show Uh because you really do engage the kids. I mean, if if you ever get a chance to see Brill work with children, like, because, man, I watch you at these school shows and there's like the hardest kid (laughs) that when I was in charge of being the speaker, Uh I was afraid of that kid. Not like physically. Well, yes, physically. intimidated. But also like, well, what am I going to tell him that's going to, and you hop off that stage <laughs> and you go back there and you put hands <laughs> on the kid and you all but drag him up there and you make him tap dance. And just like that, like magic, every single kid in the whole place, their shoulders relax mm. and they're, the the sides of their mouths <laughs> curl from you know, mm-hmm. a frown into the sm- I mean, then everyone just starts. The whole place goes nuts as soon as you get the hardest kid there
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: to do the little stamp clap clap stamp clap <laughs> clap dig <stamp, laughs> dig 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 dig. I mean, just everybody relaxes.
2: And and one thing I like to say is is again, I keep whenever I've I've heard about crime in communities and and negative influences. You in those same conversations, you hear about the school to prison pipeline. Uh, they can tell how many prisons to build by the grades of fourth graders. They know right then by school, by how they're doing in school, whether they're probably going to end up in the criminal element of society. So I'd like to say we replace that with the studio to stage pipeline where kids can come in this building right here in Bronzeville, the heart of a black community on the south side of Chicago and go from novice to professional without ever leaving their own community. I think that's something that we should that a lot of people don't pay attention to but it's one of my most proudest moments when you look at uh say William and Caleb Or More more William in terms of coming through our after school program, whereas Alexandria, Andrew and Caleb all came through our Tap Academy program. So these are kids. They've been in this building tap dancing and learning the art form. And we didn't prepare them just to be good in Chicago or just to be good in this building. We prepare them to be good wherever they are in the world and to and to raise rise to that standard. And that's what we teach. And that's what the fundraiser really helps us to push.
0: Oh yeah, Isaiah. Yeah. Isaiah Harris. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Another guy. He start, you know, he was a young dude when I first met him. Like, uh-huh. you know, young real young guy. And now he's done the after midnight cruise. Uh huh. He just did the uh, what was the midnight midsummer's night's, night's dream dream in, yeah, in yeah. New York yeah. with, with J Sam and uh-huh. a whole bunch of great so again, the proof is in the <laughs> <Pudding>. tap dance. <laughs>
2: Pudding. The tap dance pudding. yeah. the I, vegan tap dance
0: pudding. <laughs> well, Brill, that's about all the time we got. Cool. So stay tuned for a new podcast by Brill Barrett on the brand new Mad Rhythms Podcast Network. I'll keep you updated on that. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, man. As always, respect, respect the, the
3: dance. Respect the dance. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I
1: want to take over Mad Rhythms. I told this to real merit Any tap pants on my face can